Last week, we started this two-part sermon called The Worst Best Thing. And started last week, we started drawing on the perspective that, that sometimes in life, what we thought was the worst thing, and I mean the absolute worst thing, the, the, the hardest thing, it couldn't be any worse, what we thought was the worst thing, that with the passing of time and with the adding of perspective, we can look back and see that it was actually the best thing. Now, we don't want to do it again. We don't want to go through it again, that's for sure. But, but on this side of it, it was actually the best thing. Well, I want to tell you, as, as we think about that, as we move through that thought process, uh, in the midst of all of that is this question, why? Why? A question that, that fills us as people, a question that, that haunts us as people, why? Why Why did it have to be like this? Why did it have to be at this time, in this timing? Why, why is it so hard? Why is it this way? Surely there's a, there was a better way, a different way, and we're consumed and we're filled with the huge question, why? Why? I'm gonna be very honest with you. When... My dad first got his cancer diagnosis. I was in the room with him. They said it was terminal, that there was no cure, that it would be painful, that if this is the, the, the way that he died, it would be a painful death, uh, and, and that he would actually die from the illness that he had been diagnosed with. I remember thinking before we left the room, why? I remember the, the ride home as, as we're driving home in silence, wanting to know why. God, I, I don't understand why. I believe you're in control. I've been trained to understand that. I believe you're powerful. I believe you're the, you're the powerful God of all creation. And so my simple question is just why? Now, there's been other times as well, other situations as well. God, I, I know that you're in control. God, I know that, that all things pass through your hand. God, I know that you're powerful, but I don't, I don't understand this. And so the, the question again is why? Well, today as we move through our study of Acts and as we move through the second part of this second sermon, I'm gonna show you, we're gonna end with Three things to grab onto when faced with the why. Three things. Now, we're going to move through our verses, verse by verse, but we're going to end with today three things to grab onto when you're faced with the why. Our message this morning is entitled, The Worst Best Thing, Part 2. The Worst Best Thing, Part 2. We're in today, Acts chapter 8. Verses one through four. Acts chapter eight, verses one through four. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. The worst, best thing. Acts chapter eight, verses one through four. God's word says this. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, 
and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Verse four, therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we're thankful for the hope that we have today. We're thankful for the peace that we have that's settled in Jesus Christ today. I'm thankful for the forgiveness of our sin through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we come today and I, I pray as we have gathered that we have gathered to honor you, to praise you, to worship you and in your word to know you today. Lord, I pray as we come and, and we deal with the question why and we can't understand and sometimes our hearts break and we're faced with the question why. Lord, I pray that we would see in your word today the truth of what we hold to. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would lead us today. I pray that we'd be encouraged today. I pray we would not be able to leave here the same. And I, Lord, I truly believe, it, I pray there would be a, a supernatural movement of God in this hour. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that's lost, that doesn't know you, that is here consumed in the guilt of their sin, here condemned under the weight of their sin without the hope of Christ, I, I pray that today in the preaching of our Savior Jesus and the gospel, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we trust all this to you, and I pray in the mighty name of my Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we begin again today, remember the context. Stephen, this great, great man of faith, has been stoned to death. Now, I want you to think about that this great man of faith, a tremendous man, an asset to the church, a bold witness for Jesus Christ. This man of great faith has been stoned to death. He has been pelted with stone. He's been crushed in by the rocks that were flying in. And, and chapter seven ends, and he dies this awful death, this terrible death. The man of great faith dies this terrible death. Now, remember an awesome thing from last week. As he dies, the Bible says that he sees into heaven and the Bible says that he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne. He says, the Bible says, sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, understand, it is a testimony that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is standing because he is the righteous judge. Jesus is the Savior of God. And so when he sees him standing, it is a testimony, Jesus is the Savior. Well, chapter seven ends, Stephen is killed. And that starts our verses today, all right? Moving to chapter eight, verse one, the first part of the verse. It says this. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. The Bible tells us of a young man, Saul, that stood and they placed their garments, their coats around him. Well, he is in hearty agreement with putting him to death. The word hearty agreement is a double compound and it is showing here, and I want you to see the magnitude of this, that he wasn't just accepting of it, that he wasn't just approving of it, but that he actually took great 
pleasure in it. He, he was fully, totally in agreement and it greatly pleased him as Stephen is crushed with rocks. As he dies there, he is in total agreement. He gives great approval and he has great pleasure in the death of Stephen. This brutal death pleased him greatly. All right, the rest of verse one. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The rest of the verse starts off and it says, and on that day. Now, I want you to understand, this was a huge day in church history. This is a turning point day for the church. This is a turning point day for the gospel, the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on that very day, Stephen is stoned. Paul, Saul is found in hearty approval. And on that very day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. Persecution, the original language, persecution is from a word of course, that means to persecute. It is an aggressive sense. It is to chase and it is to hunt. And so I want you to feel the weight of that. On that very day, they began to hunt. They began to persecute. They began to chase these followers of Jesus Christ. Now see this, this hatred for Christ, this hatred for Christians has now brewed into a full movement. I want you to see the progression as we move through these chapters. At first, they preach the name of Jesus and they are warned. Speak no longer in the name of Jesus. And it starts with a warning. We grab them and we warn them. And then at second, they are, they are pulled in and they are, they are beaten. They are scourged. And again, they're warned. Preach no longer. Speak no longer in this name. But now there was first a warning and then there was a beating, but now it is brewed and now it results in death. Stephen has been killed. And the Bible says it pours over no longer to just some of the apostles, no longer to just the apostles, but now the hatred is expressed against all believers, against all those in the church. Now get this. Stephen has preached the gospel to these Jewish leaders. Now, I want you to see what's happening here. For at least the third time, and I'm gonna say for sure at least the third time, perhaps many more times, but for sure at least the third time, they have clearly heard the truth. They have heard it clearly explained that the scriptures pointed to the Messiah. It has been brought to their attention. It has been reminded of them that the scriptures foretold, the scriptures pointed to a Messiah. Well, it has also been told that Jesus, the Nazarene, Jesus, this Jesus, he is the fulfillment of scripture. And so it has been preached, the scriptures tell of the becoming Messiah, Jesus, the Nazarene, he is the fulfillment of scripture and it has been preached he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. The truth was proclaimed, and so now see what this is. The sons of Israel, 
Sometimes we think, well, these Jewish leaders, well, these Jewish men, well, these, these scribes and Pharisees, I want you to see it is much greater in context. The sons of Israel, the seed of Abraham, those that have been made the promise, those that had received the promise, they are now moving forward in their rejection of the promise. They are moving forward in their choice to reject Jesus. That's a big deal. You see, it was their people that had received the promise. Out of Abraham will come one who's seen to be a blessing for all nations. Out of this people, they had, they had heard the promise that a savior from God would come and an anointed of God and he would save the people. And so now the sons of Israel are moving forward in their rejection of Jesus Christ. And that is what this was. That started back on the cross and now it brews again here. They're moving forward in their rejection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Bible continues... They were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. See this, see what has happened here. Stephen is killed and persecution ignites, hatred flames up and so they flee. There's now the threat of death, no longer just a beating and is now enforced by death and so they run. The Bible says they are scattered it is the Greek word diaspora. It means scattering, but I want you to see this. It is the scattering of seeds. That's that word for, for scattering, diaspora. It's as if you, you reached into a sack and you took a handful of seeds and you threw them to the wind. You got all the, the strength you could muster and you threw them to the wind and some caught the wind and some went on a great distance and some didn't go that far and some fell there in the short grass. It is the scattering of seeds. It's as if someone took it and they threw it to the wind. They are scattered a persecution breaks out and so they are scattered to the wind. Now I wanna, I wanna pause right here for just a second. Sometimes we read these verses and maybe we read something into it that wasn't there. Or maybe we neglect to see something that surely was there. Don't you think I want to be very honest. Don't you think the question of these believers is why? Don't, don't you think it has to be why? Why? Why is Stephen dead? Why is this happening? We, we took God at his word. We saw him as the Christ. We named him as the Messiah. He is the Savior of God. We've received him. Now why are we on the run? Why are our, our friends being left behind, never to be seen again? Why are we being separated from our family? Why are we being rejected by our own nation? Why? Don't you think they have to wonder why this makes no sense? This hurts too much. This is too much to bear. Why? We put our faith in Jesus. Why? The question has to be, why? Dear God, why? Why? Verse two. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud 
lamentation over him. Very short verse. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. It's a pretty interesting thing in the midst of all that is going on. All that's happening on that day, the stoning of Stephen, the the scattering of the church, the, the dispersion of the church, in the middle of all of this, what a weird thing to come across verse two. I want you to see it's there for a reason. Be very sure and, and, and get the heaviness of this. It is not safe to be a follower of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. It, it is not safe to be known as a follower of Christ. It's not safe to be known as a friend of Stephen. That's why they're fleeing. They're under the threat of death and it's real. That's why they're running. It's not safe to identify with Stephen. And yet the Bible says that these devout men, I, I want to add to that, these brave men, these men of character, they take up the smashed up body, the beaten body, the bloody body, of their friend Stephen. Just a few hours earlier, he was alive. Just a few days earlier, they could remember spending time with him and now they come and these devout men, these brave men, they they take the body of their friend Stephen and at their own risk, they go and they dig a hole somewhere in the rocky ground and they bury their friend Stephen. The word of God says, they made loud lamentation over him. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to be sure not miss this. These devout men, they dig the hole and they made loud lamentation over them. If you look it up in the original language, it means they wailed. They wailed. These grown men, as they dug the hole for their friend Stephen, they wailed. They wailed as they dug the hole, as they placed their friend in it. They wailed and they cried. Oh, that's our friend. And they wailed as they put him in it. And as they scooped the dirt in, as they cover him up, they wail. They wail. Don't you know? The question is why? Why, God? He was an asset to the church. He was a friend of ours. Why, God? Why? He was a follower of Jesus. Why? Don't you know the question beat in their hearts? Why, dear God, why? Why, Stephen, why? They wailed as they buried him. They wailed. Maybe no place do we ask that question more than standing by a grave. Some of you know that. In the front cover of my Bible, as I prepare to preach a funeral, I write the person's name inside the cover of my Bible, every funeral I've ever preached. Usually it's the last thing I do before I come out to preach the service. I've prepared and prayed and made myself ready for the service. And usually the last thing I do is to write their name in my Bible. In my Bible, there's the name of babies. In my Bible, there's some of them that they didn't even have a name. I put the name of their parents. 
In my Bible, the second kid I ever buried, an 18-year-old kid died of cancer. I have his name. In my Bible, there's a 30-year-old and a 31-year-old and a 33-year-old. In my Bible, there's kids and there's moms and there's dads and there's brothers and there's sisters. As we walk by those caskets in that day, that process, as we go to a, to a graveyard and we, we try to make it fancy, we have all the flowers and we say all the right words. And as we walk off from a shut grave, the question is why? Why? Why like this? Why right now? Why them? Why? Verse three. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. These people are broken. They're wanting to know why. But the Bible says, but Saul began ravaging the church. Now, the word ravaging is only used once in the New Testament, and it's right here. It, it translates to lay waste to, to ruin, to destroy, to devastate. Now, to get the meaning in context, you go outside of Scripture. Outside the Scripture used in that day, it was used to describe a pack of wild boars. And so the Bible says that Saul begins to ravage the church. He begins to seek the destruction of the church. He himself seeks to devastate the church. He goes and like a wild boar, he wants to tear apart God's church. And now with this death, it sets off a fuse inside of him and he goes on a rampage. And the Bible says he now has momentum and the momentum is building and he goes to house after house. He leaves one house and he identifies another house and he drags off, the Bible says, men and now women and he puts them in prison. In Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, his own testimony, he says, and he persecuted them to death. He beat them and he put them to death. Like a wild boar, he seeks to tear apart the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, friends, the question has to again be why? I want to tell you, that doesn't make any sense. Why, God? Why not protect your church? Why not prosper your church? That seems like a lot smarter thing to do. Why not promote your church? That seems like a better thing to do. Why let this happen to the church? Can you imagine as they're being dragged out of their houses and some of their loved ones are being killed and they're being separated from their families, their hearts have to say, why? We don't understand why. Why not stop Saul, dear God? Why not stop him? It's a terrible way to reach people. It's a terrible way. All this death and persecution, this makes no sense. Why? Follow with me. Remember the premise. Sometimes the worst thing was actually the best thing. Now I want you to think about our verses. Remember in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it said that they would leave Jerusalem and they would go and they would testify, they would spread the gospel to the surrounding areas. Well, you know what? It has been now about five years and no one has left. 
It's been about five years and they've stayed in Jerusalem. Now the church is growing. I believe it's over 20,000 people at this point. The gospel is being spread in the city. The church is growing in the city, but they've stayed in the city. Well, guess what? As we, as we read the verses, now they are scattered. Now they are spread. Remember in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says the gospel would go, listen, to Judea and Samaria. Well, now in Acts chapter eight, verse one, it says they were scattered, where? To Judea and Samaria. Remember the word scattered, it means diaspora, dispersed like seeds. The seeds of the gospel are being spread. Listen to verse four. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now, in in the Greek, the verse says, and it means that word therefore, it actually has a bigger meaning. It means therefore, on the other hand, If you go look up the original meaning, and that's that's what you're going to find. It means, therefore, on the other hand. That's the meaning. It is bad, but therefore, on the other hand. We're not able to understand what's going on, but therefore, on the other hand. It is hard. It hurts, but therefore, on the other hand. We're not sure that we're going to be able to endure this, but therefore, on the other hand. We're not sure that we're going to make it, but therefore, on the other hand. What they meant for evil, but therefore, on the other hand. God meant for good, but therefore, on the other hand. And we know that God works all things together for his good, but therefore, on the other hand. And those that had been scattered went about preaching the gospel, the word of God. But therefore, on the other hand. Now I'm gonna stop right there because I promised I would give you three things to hold on to when the question is why. We see what's happened in those verses We see how they are now spread, as God said, to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the surrounding areas. We see that they're sowing the seeds of the gospel. But I want to show us here, and I believe it's important today, to show you, to give you three things to hold on to when the question is why. Three things to hold on to when the question is why. The first thing is this. When the question is why, you can trust God's wisdom. I want you to get that. When the question is why, you can trust God's wisdom. Friends, God has all knowledge. He he knows absolutely everything. But more than that, the Bible says, and we're gonna study it tonight, he possesses all wisdom. Listen, that's more than knowledge. He possesses all knowledge. He knows everything, but he also possesses all wisdom. Now, what that means is he knows what needs to happen, and he knows how it needs to happen, and he knows when it needs to happen. And I'll just tell you today, brother and sister, when you don't have the wisdom, you can trust God because he has all of the wisdom. 
I, I, I want to tell you, as these, as these men weep, as the Bible says that they lament as they bury their friends, I want to come up to them and say, oh, look up, look up. Look up, there's hope today. The one that has defeated death, he has all wisdom and this doesn't make any sense to you. Oh, but look up, look up today, look up. When the question is why, you can trust God's wisdom. Second thing, when the question is why, listen to this. You can trust God's goodness. Be sure and understand that when the question is why, you can trust God's goodness. Be sure and understand God is good. That's not just a saying. That's not just a bumper sticker. That is the truth of the character of God. He is good. He is perfectly, totally good. He is good in every action every single action. He is good. He is good in every deed. He is good in every word. He is good. There's not one second. There's never been one second that God is not good. And I want to tell you today, friend, when you can't breathe any longer, when you can't figure it out, and when the question is why, and you don't understand why, you can trust His goodness. Oh, those people, those men and those women, as they're being pulled out of their houses, and I gotta know their hearts are broken, as they're being pulled out of their houses, and as they're being dragged down the streets, and as the neighbors watch them go, and as their kids cry, as they're being dragged away, I wanna tell them, hold on, hold on, hold on. It seems bad now, but millions are gonna be saved in the same way that you are saved. And hold on, it seems bad now, but hold on. God is good, God is good, God is good. And when the question is why, you can trust God's wisdom. When the question is why, you can trust God's goodness. And the third thing, when the question is why, and I haven't seen this one before. <laughs> I haven't seen this one before. I love this one. Listen, when you can't understand when you hurt to the core, when the question is why, in the grace of God and to the glory of God, you can preach the gospel. You can. You can. And I want to tell you, you of all people, you can. You see in verse four it says, those who had been scattered, they went about preaching the word. It's actually one word in the Greek. It literally means they went about evangelizing. That's the word, the most literal translation. They went about gospelizing. That's the word, gospelizing. They went about gospelizing. It literally means they went about telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Friend, I want you to listen to me today and I want you to hear me this morning. Tough as it is, hurt as it may, 
We have the opportunity to stand in the darkness. We have the opportunity to stand in the midst of pain. We have the opportunity to stand even in the midst of doubt. And we are able to shout, no, this isn't good. No, this isn't what I planned. No, this isn't what, what I would have chosen. No, I can't understand this. No, my heart is broken. But I want to tell you, my hope is in Jesus. My trust is in Jesus. Our Savior is Jesus. And he will not fail. I can preach the gospel of Jesus. When the question is why we can preach the good news of all people, we can preach the good news. Oh, our hearts hurt. Oh, I don't understand. My Savior is Jesus, and he will not fail. My dad got his diagnosis. And I wanted to know why. When I was a kid growing up, we chopped cotton a lot. We would chop cotton. We would be out chopping, hoeing cotton. And he would come in the evening to pick us up. He would get there. We'd been there for quite a few hours. And he would always pull up. And I don't know, he'd been plowing or something somewhere else. He'd pull up to pick us up. He'd always get out. And while we were out in the field, we would start chopping our way in. He would start sharpening his hoe. And we'd, we'd shake our heads and we'd get over to him. He'd say, well, let's make another round. I remember thinking, you make another round. We've been doing this all day. We, you make another round. Let's make another round. Supper wasn't ready yet. Let's make another round. We would strip cotton in the, in the winter and I can remember it would get late and we'd be ready to quit. And I can still remember my brother and I would say, well, it's getting, it's getting tough. It's getting too damp. Maybe we should quit. And my dad would say, let's get one more load. We'd dump in the trailers. He said, let's get one more load. Let's get another load. My dad is in heaven. My dad is in heaven on the authority of the word of God and his testimony as a follower of Christ. He's there. On, on days I can't understand why. And on days I can't understand all that's happened since he's died. I can trust God's wisdom. And I can trust God's goodness. And I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how it works. But maybe God sometimes will tell him. Your crazy son, how you built him. He's down there and he's just making another round. Another round, let's get another load. Because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. If you're here today and you don't know the reasons why, I'm telling you, I don't know that I'll ever figure the reasons why. I can think of a better plan. You know what? I don't have the wisdom God has. He is infinite in wisdom, and we can trust that. You know what? Our God is good. He's gracious. He's kind. He is good. We can't define how, how that word plays out. He's so good. And you know what? More than all people in a dark and sorry and failing world, 
we can stand up and say, yes, my heart may be broken, but I want to tell you about a Savior that will not fail. And we can preach Jesus. Hold on to that when the question is why. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. And I am not you. We are not you. And I don't pretend to know all the reasons why. Lord, I want to know you. And I know you're good. And I know you're gracious. And I know your timing is perfect. And I know in the cost of your only begotten son that there's hope that outlasts a grave, hope that outlasts a cemetery and a casket. We didn't earn it by being good people. We didn't do enough good things to do it, but in the grace of God and the cross of Calvary, that's been paid for. And so, Lord, I pray for us here when we can't understand the why. I pray that we would trust you, that we would look to you. I pray when our loved ones go on and we can't understand why, we would trust you and we would look to you. And I pray that in the meantime, in the dark world we live in, that we of all people would point to our Savior, Jesus. You Jesus are worthy. You are worthy. Lord, I pray for hearts that are hurting in this room today. I pray for minds and, and hearts that can't figure it out. I pray that we would just turn our eyes to you. And you tell us you'll give us peace that the world can't give, peace that surpasses all understanding. And that peace is you. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray for some here that do not know you. And I I pray as they sit here in sorrow unbearable, I pray that today they would turn to you. They would find you. They'd be saved in a knowledge of you today. Work in their hearts as well. And then, Lord, we come and I just open this time of invitation up. I pray that you would work in it, that you would lead in it. That you've already spoken and now that you've spoken it, it grows in our hearts and our minds. I pray that we'd be, we'd be encouraged I pray that you would move. I pray for one that doesn't know you. I pray that in this time they would respond. I pray for those looking for peace that they would find it in this time they would respond. We trust this to you and we give it to you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.